I'm Liz Logan, and you're listening to Collecting Culture, a podcast about passionate collectors and the objects they love. After meeting our guest in this episode, I'll never look at old letters the same way again. Hallie Bond has more than 200 individual letters in her collection. And oftentimes she has a packet of letters that are all from the same person. When we think of old letters, we typically think of these dramatic, tear-stained love letters. But of course, the information in old letters is often as mundane as the tidbits in our modern day text messages. What the person ate for dinner, what they bought at the store today, even how long they waited to receive the letter to which they are responding. Yet Hallie finds it all fascinating. She enjoys trying to piece together the lives of these letter writers, unspooling the emotional dramas as best she can and filling in the blanks with her imagination. Hallie is also an artist who specializes in stop motion animations and she uses the letters as inspirations for the characters in her films, which are technically impressive and very moving. I recommend checking them out on our website. If you enjoy this conversation with Hallie, we'll be following it up with a bonus episode in which two actors will read some of these missives from her collection, and they are both heartfelt and quotidian. The bonus episode goes live on October 15th. So when did you start collecting them? When did this begin for you? I have always had a informal collection of ephemera, um, usually from the first part of the 20th century. Um, since I can remember, really, whenever I came across it, it was just something I you know, wanted to spend my allowance on. Um, but the real collection started in college um, where we had a – I was an art major – And we were supposed to be building a collection over time. And I already had a fair amount of letters from my family and the ones that I'd found when I was younger. And I had a lot of old photographs. So I decided this was the thing that I wanted to just really start purposefully collecting was letters. So that was, I guess, about seven or eight years ago. And then you expanded the letters while you were in college for Mm -hmm. the, the artwork that you were doing. Yes. um, I started collecting them with some frequency when I started making art using them. Um, What I, how I collect them is it's not like I'm getting one letter here, one letter there. I collect them in packets. So it's a packet of letters from one family or one individual. Um, And so it's kind of a mystery bag when you open up the packet because it it could have things that are um, really, really boring. um, Like I went to the store today and then I dropped off the kids and then I went here and then I went there. Or it could have really interesting information or narratives about the family's life or the individual's life. Um, And so I would collect them in bulk because I never knew what I was going to get. Now, just to go back for a minute to your childhood, like tell me a little bit because I know like you start you said you started out uh, collecting photographs, old photographs. Like what fascinated you about it? You told me that your family is very interested in things from the past, which makes me curious about your family. Like just tell me a little bit about your childhood. Yeah, my family definitely has a very nostalgic streak. Um, both my siblings collect old photographs as well, and my my mom and dad both have. Um, 
well, as much of information about our families as we can. We have as many photos as we could get. I think it is something about, um, you know, being second generation immigrants in the country um, or on my mom's side, third generation, where um, you realize that um, what you have is is really precious because besides that, there's no going back for more. You know, my family came from Russia. Most of them didn't get out in time before the war. And so whatever we had in America is all we're going to ever find. Yeah. And so I think there is um, a lot of meaning then behind whatever we do have, and it makes them even more precious. So then with your interest in history, you're not really interested in the big events. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think uh, how I've always approached history and, and the parts of history that have always fascinated me have been a lot more about people's experience of it and not necessarily the facts and, you know, like what big men decided what on what days. And how we kind of learn about that is through what people write down and through letters, through their personal effects, um, through oral narratives, which have always also interested me. So with the letters, what, what I look for is when their lives are intercepted by these things we read about in books and things that we learn about in school and their impression of what's been going on on a day-to-day basis. So can you give me an example? Let's talk a little bit about the actual letters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have always been a big World War One buff. I don't know why, but it's the war that's just interested in me the most, maybe because America had such, such minimal involvement until the very end. So we don't learn about it very much. And so I have a lot of letters actually from American soldiers in World War One, who for the most part are just stationed in America for much of the war. You know, they were in army reserves, They hadn't been called up yet, but they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And so I do have a lot of letters from soldiers just waiting in America. And this is kind of where people's daily lives intercept with history. It's crazy to think about now knowing what was going on in Europe, you know, how many men were dying every day in the battles before America got involved. And we just have all these men waiting and they're chronicling, you know, what they ate for breakfast, um, And it's just fascinating, these kind of opposing mindsets on either side of the country. And so did they know, they knew what was going on. Were they like anticipating having some involvement? They don't mention it very much, actually. I do have some letters, though, from someone who did end up getting sent overseas during World War I. And his letters are really bizarre. It's with his parents. They both are talking about the war in this very nonchalant way, even though from what I can tell, he's like on the front lines. He's writing to his family who is back in Pennsylvania, sending them souvenirs. And the souvenirs are um, something from a soldier. It sounds like cufflinks. And the mom is very nonchalantly asking, are these from a a live soldier or a dead soldier? We all want to know. That's crazy. So there's just, there's some things that are, kind of gruesome, but fascinating in that way. And it's so far removed from self. Uh, Your letter written September 8th arrived on Friday morning, the 27th. Also the souvenir you sent to dad. I tell you that made him feel proud. He says to the people that come in, this is from Elwood, my chiclet. Um, It sounds like he's possibly German, the dad. Quite a few examined the cufflinks. Did you get them from a living soldier or from the dead? And it kind of this 
feeling repeats itself throughout all the letters. There's also towards the end, you know, the flu is really taking over and she's just listing everyone who's died back home of the flu. Meanwhile, he's still at the front. And tell me about the, you have a specific period that you look for. Yes. I look for letters between pretty much 1900 and 1960. 1900, because before that, handwriting is very different and the quality of the paper is kind of degraded to a certain point that I can't really read it anymore. Um, And then 1960, just because past 1960, it becomes a little too close to self and it's no longer quite as fascinating for me. One of my very favorites is um, this woman, May. She's a housewife in the 40s. 40s, 50s is when I have her letters. Um, And her and her husband are very in love. Very, very in love. She, though, is very, very bored at home. She packs his lunch every day and puts a note in there. And she labels the notes with Friday, um, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, all the way through because he's a traveling salesman. So she packs his lunch for the weeks and each each uh, day she has a new letter for him about how much she loves him and, you know, what she loves about him. And so these are the little envelopes with mm-hmm. the notes. And they're, I mean, it's like the sweetest thing. They're very much in love, but he is not getting enough work. It is, you know, right on the tail end of the depression. So it seems like it's been very hard for them. He has a lot of letters to different companies asking for jobs and their responses to him. So I have those as well. And it's, I feel their story is a great example of uh, kind of everything you can find in these letters. It's, and we have their correspondences with each other, at least her, her notes to him. We have a pretty good narrative of his struggle for employment um, and, you know, everything he's going through. And then aside from that, we also, I have all of his maps from when he was a salesman. But there are these beautiful, you know, um, street maps and and road maps from the 30s. uh, And they're well-worn because he's been reading through them every day. I actually don't know what he sells. It's refrigerators for a while, um, like first, you know, first generation um, refrigerators. And then after that, I'm not sure what he goes on to. Um, But it's just really the kind of the sweetest correspondence. It's her writing to him. Yes, I don't have any of him writing to her. Okay. And what does she do with her boredom? Um, not much. <laughs> um, yep, not much at all. She writes to him a lot. Um, she, They have a phone, so they call. They have a, a child, so she takes care of the child. Um, but besides that, she doesn't do very much. She, she goes to a fashion show one night, though. Um, So she does have a social life of some sort, but besides that, she's the wife of a traveling salesman. It's a chronicle of the boredom of housewives. Yes, exactly. Wow. Do you want to read a little? Sure. Darling, I take it all back about being renovated. You see, I hadn't heard from you at all except for your wire. I was very worried when I didn't receive any word on Monday. I thought perhaps you had started for Patterson Saturday night, and I didn't know what to think. Yesterday, Monday, Mom received your card in the afternoon mail and still nothing from me. Did she get a kick out of that? I received your letter at the office this morning, Tuesday the 4th, and was I glad to hear from you. I thought you had forgotten about your wife. Traveling all over Upper New York State for business must be a terrible grind. Do you think it will work out all right? Or would it be better to take a little less, not to have to work so hard? I hate to think of you being all tired out every night. Very little has happened here to date. 
Rowan has sent in three orders. He certainly is going to town on those lights. Bob Rem is driving a taxi at the Fort Lee Plaza, not making out very well. We've only received one card from Bud, but that being mailed at Philadelphia. I phoned your mother this morning, gave her the news. Drop her a line, noon hour. I received your card, which I pursued with much interest. Showen told me today the office is planning on giving me a farewell dinner. I told them that I would rather they didn't do anything about it, but he said that everything has been arranged. Well, I hate that. It has been very raw and cold here, but we haven't had any snow. I am supposed to go over to New York to the fashion show with Marty tomorrow night, but I am not very keen about it. Now her mother has developed a cold, and perhaps we won't be able to make it, I hope. I can hardly wait until Saturday. Why? So that I can see my husband again and hold him and tell him how much I missed him and how much I love him. This business of being a merry widow isn't all it's cracked up to be. I miss him dreadfully. It's cold in bed, too. Please, Artie, take it easy coming home Saturday night. I'll be waiting for you. This Sunday, we had chicken and everything, just in case you came home. Keep well and happy. Love, May. XXXXXXX. P.S. Snow White, the luncheonette cat, is walking about in a delicate condition. Pretty soon, it'll be Snow White in the seven... Orf spring? Let it go. Let it go. I pulled this on George, and he was just... Disgustipated. I love that she's supposed to go to the fashion show, but she doesn't want to. I know, yeah. Like, we can all relate to that. Um, and then she, it's weird. She, like, refers to her husband in the third in the third person. Like, mm-hmm. I miss him. Yeah. That must have been, I, I, it's a, like a letter-writing convention that's foreign to us, maybe? Yes. And this is actually, this is one of the ones that I inspired me to write, do a stop motion, you know, kind of just about, the concepts that were at play in it. Okay. Um, so I did a um, a charcoal stop motion probably four years ago, five years ago, um, with her internal struggle being away from him and, you know, the love that she felt. Okay. Yeah, tell me more about how the letters inspire your animations. Absolutely. So I kind of use the letters as the... Um, the seed for the premise of the the stop motion. I I use them for the the emotions that are are deep down in there. Um, it's very similar, kind of, when you're making a film or doing a stop motion, where you have this overarching narrative, and then there are all these themes that are being brought up, and there's a, a moral kind of that you want the viewer to get to. And I feel that the letters um, subconsciously have a similar. Um, structure to them where they have this narrative and then below that are all these emotions and themes of their lives that are, you know, kind of there for, for you to view. Um, and so I, I really started actually, May was the first one I did this with. Um, I, I feel very personally involved with their lives. So I always refer to them by their first names, May and Artie. And those Um, letters are typed. These ones are typed, yeah. So there's a chance that she's doing this at the office, um, or if they, or they maybe have a typewriter at home. Some of hers aren't aren't typed. Um, Do you like the typed letters just because they're easy to read? Yeah. Yes, and because um, you can just get all the nuances, like her making up that last word at the end. If that was in her handwriting, which is pretty condensed script, I would have just assumed I was reading it wrong and thought it was said disgusted. But because it's typed, I can see, you know, she kind of put a bunch of words together and made her own word. You've also made stop motions from other letters you have, right? It was from my, my great-grandpa's letters. My great-grandpa has like a crazy history where he was in Russia and his mom sold him 
um, as an indentured servant when he was a kid, and he ran away, um, and he escaped on a steamboat going to America, and he wound up, yeah, in Ellis Island by himself as, like, a 10-year-old. That's crazy. And you have his letters. We have his journals about it. Okay. And we have his oral narrative about it. Oh. We don't actually, he was um, illiterate, so... Um, he would tell my uncle and his um, his kids his whole story, and they'd write it down. Okay, so now I understand where the fascination yes. with history comes from. Yeah, and That's actually, most crazy. people I've talked to, if they poke around, they have a a crazy story like that too. And so he settled in New York. Yes, on and, Long Island. And what happened to him when he got here? So he he's and where was he in indentured service? Um, he was in Russia. Um, at the time, it was, we think, part of Poland, but we're not totally sure because, like I said, he didn't have any information on him. He was, like, 10 or so when he ran away. Um, so we're not 100% sure. Um, and his name was changed when he first came. He got here, and he settled in Long Island, and he would drag his street cart every day to the city to sell apples on Orchard Street. It was, it's like the most classic immigrant story. On Orchard Street? He oh would sell on gosh. Orchard Street, yep. And um, he worked his way up to having a full fruit stand, and then he was able to buy, like, a small plot of land in Long Island because everyone thought it was just swamp land back then. This was in, like, the 10s and 20s. And then he worked his way up to having a storefront, and then he just kept buying land and kept opening more grocery stores, and then... Eventually, um, you know, he had like a a chain, a grocery chain, and then um, the depression came, and he was still needed, and he could still farm his land, so it didn't affect him that much. And then he actually ended up opening up the first uh, mall in Long Island. So you must love the Tenement Museum. I actually used to work there. Yeah, as a docent, mm-hmm. I kind of want to do that. It's a, That's you should do it. It's, okay, yeah. It's very rewarding. It's really interesting. So then you were saying, like, you take these themes from the letters and use them in your stop-motion animations. Mm -hmm. What are some of the common themes that you see and observe? I'd say the the number one theme is denial um, and escapism. And that's a lot of what my work is about, actually, um, is is escapism. Um, So that's something that... I see almost in every packet I'm looking at because letters occupy a very um, kind of strange place in, in in the recording of one's life. It's it's not like a diary where you, you don't think anyone's going to see it. So you just write down like stream of consciousness or write down every emotion. Um, and it's not like a memoir where you have some time to reflect and put everything into perspective. It's a in the moment examination of what is going on right now and you're telling it to another person so you're specifically you know giving it to someone to say like this is my life right now so you're kind of curating yourself a little bit making sure you appear in the right way you know you don't want to seem desperate you don't want to seem needy or unless you do want to seem desperate and needy so it's an interesting um it's it, it occupies a very interesting place in in these people's lives which I've always just been fascinated about, about what they're leaving out and what they're putting in, you know, what they're lying about and what they're adding. Um, and so denial and escapism is definitely the the top two. Okay. Pointers. So give me an example of that where someone's like deeply in denial. 
All right, so now we're going to escapism and denial. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, one of the biggest is probably um, Elwood, who is the, the soldier who's in, you know, at the front during World War One, And um, his mom is just cannot come to terms with where he is and won't talk really in, in any serious terms about the fact that she may never see him again. Um, and so that, I mean, the, the, the denial there is just... It's almost, it's, um, it's really sad in a way because it seems like there's some lost moments. But I guess when these things are happening in real life, you're not, you know, we look back at it as these are such tragedies. But in the moment, it's, you know, it's their daily life of being in the trench. And we always forget that also about especially war and, you know, the first part of the 20th century where, yes, they're in immediate danger. But then there's also very, very boring periods of war as well. They always say, what is it? War is like 10% fighting, 90% boredom. Like denial is not necessarily the worst thing. Mm. (laughs) But like when you're dealing with a situation where you can't control it, like a war or like what we have going on right now where we might get into a war, it's like maybe we need some denial. Like what? because what else can you do? You're not in control. Absolutely. And that's a lot of what I kind of tackle in my animations is – escapism as a survival tool. Any other ones that are very much about denial and escapism? A lot of them. Yes, yeah. But particular um, ones you'd want to call out. Yes. One of the the strangest is um, between Dorothy and Nick. Um, I like, I, this is my take on where they are in life, but I could be completely wrong. It's actually one of the ones that I've tried to do more research on. Um, like and actively so you usually research. don't research them? I'll look up their names, but I won't go to, you know, Ancestry or anything like that. I kind of like to let the letters speak for themselves. But with them, I just kind of want something to confirm if I'm right or wrong about this. Their letters are so weird. So weird. It's in the 50s. He's in New York City. She's in Ohio. Um, he is very controlling, um, very, very controlling. At some point, it seems like they've never met in person, but then there's other things that don't confirm that. And somewhere he says that he um, had the office boy take a photo of him, but it got botched, so she'll just have to wait to see what he looks like. He He's on to his ex number four. He calls his, his ex-wife, who's in the midst of divorcing, ex number four, who he has a child with. It seems like Dorothy keeps saying no to him, to them getting married, but he keeps asking. He'll send her a book and then give an entire page of notes on the book of what pages she has to go to and how she shouldn't look up certain things in her dictionary. It's really bizarre. And very controlling. Very controlling. We don't like this guy. I feel bad for him. He seems so clueless. He corrects his own letters. It's really, it's really strange. Um, so he's always been kind of my favorite and my least favorite. The um, most fascinating. It's definitely the most fascinating. Okay. And then tell me, because that goes to like, yeah, then I'm thinking Tinder, like these conversations are likely not going to be preserved. And in many cases should not be. But um, these letters are kind you know, obviously people find them worth keeping and then maybe they get passed on or maybe not. Um, 
But it's such a different form of communication. Like you have said, a lot of these are written like over multiple days. Like it's a totally, tell me just more about like how you observe that communication mode. Yeah. Um, so I observe it is that's the right word because I've actually, I've never really been one for letters whatsoever. I actually really dislike writing letters. Um, Why do you dislike it? Specifically that because of the time, I think. And because it's so finite of like writing, putting in the mail, putting like sending it off, that it seems um, it seems you have to take a lot more care than you do with other things. And I think that's stressful for at least people in, in our generation sometimes is that you can't just do it nonchalantly. You can't, you know, um, you, you have to when you're writing a letter, you you really want that person to get that letter and you want to communicate what you're It's like saying. how we, we never now want to leave voicemails. Exactly. Because like, it's so permanent and formal um, and you have to think about it ahead of time. But at the same time, I feel like they were doing it very nonchalantly and yes. they were just accustomed to it. And it was so frequent that they would just, it would be machine-like. And yeah. if they said something and then they wanted to go back on it, they'd just write another. Exactly. And we have that too, where they'll, post one and then go back and be like, wait, actually, I didn't mean that. Um, and then send it off right after that. Um, I think part of it is there, there weren't really many other options except for you could call someone, but you know, a lot of people didn't have phones. Um, so it was kind of the, the only way for communication. And now that we have other options and there's degrees of communication, um, it's kind of changed how a lot of people feel about letters. To learn more about these old letters, check out our bonus episode on October 15th, which will feature two actors reading selected letters from Hallie's collection. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate us in your podcast app of choice, and tell your friends. For more photos and details from this and our other episodes, visit collectingculturepodcast.com or show us your own collection by tagging Collecting Culture Podcast on Instagram. We'll be back next month with another collector.